So if you spent your New Year's morning like Gary Allen spent his New Year's morning, you have my absolute and complete total admiration. Gary Allen is a accomplished marathoner who for the last more than five New Year's days in a row at six o'clock in the morning arises very, very early where, well, let's face it, pretty much the rest of the world is either still sleeping or sleeping it off and gets out there and runs the entire course of the Boston Marathon by himself. Year after year after year. Now, he's actually run the Boston Marathon, the race, with 25,000 other people one time, 16 times. But he's done this more than five years in a row. He gets out there in the quiet and the cold and the silence and runs the entire race as that solitary long-distance runner. Now, I will never be the kind of runner that Gary Allen is, but running has given me, especially in the last decade of my life, a source of hope, meaning, inspiration, solace, challenge that I think makes me understand what Gary Allen is getting at here. Gary Allen said, for runners, the course is bigger than any of us. I'm just a grain of sand on the beach. But during the run, during that New Year's run, when it's pitch dark and when it's perfectly still, you can feel the energy. There have been so many dreams realized and there have been so many dreams broken along that road and along that run. To realize our dreams, to risk even their being broken, to risk and to realize our flourishing, our full becoming of who we can be. I don't think that there's any other reason than this to make or to keep a New Year's resolution. I'm just curious, how many of you have actually made or are thinking of making New Year's resolutions this year? You can raise your hand. You don't have to be timid about it. All right. Higher percentage than 11 a.m. than the 9 a.m. people. Promise keepers at the 11 a.m. All right. Well, <laughs> let me tell you what I love that story of Gary Allen. Not because it's about running but because he runs that same course year after year on that cold New Year's morning. So many resolutions, and of course this is none of yours that just raised your hand, but so many resolutions don't even make it out of January because the novelty wears off and it doesn't look as gold and as shiny as we might think it did when we first wanted to make that promise to ourselves. So I love the story of Gary Allen getting out there on that cold New England morning. The discipline, the self-mastery to wake up so early to run it by himself. He experiences that energy, that connection, that charged full being with the charge of the soul. And at the same time, he knows that even though he is a solitary long-distance runner, he's not at all by himself. He's connected to that which is larger. I think that ultimately this is the essence of all real spirituality and all real spiritual experience. This experience of that inner undeniable strength, that groundedness, and that experience of peace that is connected at the same time to that external source of belonging. This is the truest spirituality, and it comes in so many different forms. 
to know that we are most fully ourselves and yet also transcendent to be more than just ourselves alone. It is in trying to live in this way, trying to aspire in this way of being, that I hope whether you have trying to keep or have made New Year's resolutions or you are just day in, day out trying to keep the deep promises that you have made to yourself that this time you will really mean it, (laughs) that this time will make the difference, that this moment will be the moment of your flourishing and your realization. I hope that this is what we are after in keeping the deepest promises to ourselves that we can make. Because so many New Year's resolutions and so many promises do get tossed to the side simply because they no longer appear shiny or glossy. And when the novelty wears off, then the resolution gets tossed to the side. I hope here we would take a lesson from nature and especially from the riverbed. If you have ever been around or understand how rivers work, it is always the stones at the very bottom of the river that have been there the longest that are polished and shiny and most beautiful. It is only by having the water run over them day after day after day after day, year after year, that they become honed into something that is truly gorgeous, truly beautiful. The most polished stones are not the most novel ones. They are the ones who have allowed themselves to be shaped through time and patience and just simply being there. So whether you have a New Year's resolution that you are keeping or striving to keep or just promises that you would like to make or are making or keeping, inspiration is, of course, essential. Very often there has to be that sense of call, that galvanizing sense of spirit that wants us, that helps inspire us to stretch into the form of new life that says we are not this yet, but we could be, and so we are willing to challenge ourselves in such a way that we say there is the hope of becoming what we are not yet. Just the hope. And that is inspiration. But I was reminded this past week why inspiration is not nearly enough in making the true kinds of changes or resolutions or promises that matter most in our lives. And it's because of this. I was watching Access Hollywood. And not by accident. I watch Access Hollywood when I'm exercising in the gym in our building. And by the way, this is it gives me perfect plausible deniability. Because if someone comes in and they catch me watching Access Hollywood, not that I'm ashamed of this in any way, right? I can say, oh, no, no, it was on before I got in here. Yeah, you can change the channel. That's okay. Go ahead and change it. Uh, It's a guilty pleasure. Well, this was their annual um, schadenfreude episode. You know, um, that German word that talks about taking perverse uh, pleasure in someone else's pain. And they were running down the, uh, I think it was the top five or top ten, I don't know, I lost count after a while, celebrity divorces of this past year. And I thought about it, you know, these are people who are often thought of, these celebrities, of inspiring other people for a living. And sometimes they do, in fact, live or at least present the image of living inspiring lives. But yet, in this story, you know, their lives didn't quite match up to that inspiration. I wonder perhaps if there was a connection between the two. And then I thought a little bit deeper, and one name came to mind that really clarified this for me, that inspiration is never enough. It's not just about the high moments, the mountain peak moments. It's about so much more than that, because the name that came to my mind was Tiger Woods. Now, I'm not going to get into, because I don't know, 
I'm not going to speculate about what happened on that night after Thanksgiving between he and his wife. And so I'm not going to speculate about something I probably don't know anything else about either. His serial affairs. What I see in the story of a man like Tiger Woods that I find distasteful, but also I would like to have compassion for is a man who is always searching and searching and searching for yet another high. Yet another reminder of the fact that he is Tiger Woods. Let's face it, Tiger Woods is probably one of the most 10, 20 most recognizable people in the entire world. Tiger Woods is always Tiger Woods. I'm only Reverend Ken here. When I go to the supermarket, I'm just facing the crowd. And that's good. I love that. And by the way, I'm not the Tiger Woods of Wellsprings. I didn't mean to make that connection. (laughs) Please don't make that connection. (laughs) Either in the fame or the other stuff. And now you're going to get to see a red-haired man blush really severely. (laughs) But back to Tiger Woods for a second. What is troubling, troubling about his serial affairs, of his regularly breaking the bonds of his marriage, is that he always seemed to be seeking out the same kind of woman. And by this, by the way, I'm not judging the women here. I'm not judging people, women or men, or bartenders, or hosts, or hostesses, or waitstaff. That's not what this is about. It's not about them. It's about if you're Tiger Woods, it's not a mistake if time after time after time you are seeking out people, women for affairs, whose job it is to serve you. This strikes to me as a man who is sadly, tragically incapable of mutuality. Because he seeks out those relationships only with those people, if we can quote unquote call them relationships. He seeks out them only with people whose job it is to remind him that he is Tiger Woods. See, this is the problem with inspiration being the most important thing or the only way that we think we will change our lives. Sometimes the more inspirational moments we have, the more inspirational moments we crave. The more we desire them, the more we become attached to them as thinking only somehow that the mountaintop moments are the most real moments and everyday normal life, well, it just pales in comparison and so we continue to seek out that high. Some years ago, I had the opportunity to be in the company of someone who's very, very well known and in fact quite expert at putting on retreats, spiritual retreats for thousands of people over the years. And she was talking about one particular kind of person that she found comes to these retreats over and over again. It's the kind of person who is always searching for the next high. She actually has a word for them, retreat junkies. It's the people who just, you know, they're waiting. They're living for that next retreat, that next big moment of inspiration. And then life pales in comparison. And then they wait for the next high, the next spiritual moment when they feel on the mountaintop. But the problem is it's not integrated back into life which is one of the reasons, by the way, that I love that we have a retreat team here at Wellsprings within our common life together because when we get to experience these moments of inspiration set apart from the rest of our lives, the good thing is is we're going to end up seeing each other in the regular, normal, everyday, Sunday-to-Sunday kind of stuff. Living beyond the inspiration also draws us deeper into accountability and relationship with each other. That desire to be inspired all the time is a kind of addiction. 
Now, of course, in making a real change and making a real resolution and fulfilling our dreams, inspiration is absolutely necessary. I remember a, a colleague of mine who served in another denomination in a, a, a church just outside Washington, D.C. He served there for many, many years. And it was all at that time in the 1950s and 1960s sort of, um, and I don't mean this uh, pejoratively, but bureaucratic middle manager types in the government. He said that he has never been to or been a part of in his ministry better, more well-planned meetings in which people had absolutely nothing inspiring to say or to pursue. <laughs> the form was there, but the function of why, we, why they gathered wasn't. So inspiration is, of course, necessary in making real sustainable change in our life. But inspiration alone will not get us to our dreams, whether it is extreme sports or extreme sex or even extreme spirituality. Being thrilled by nothing but thrills, it is always dangerous. I think this is part of what Herman Melville was trying to get at. Herman Melville, by the way, I don't know if any of you know this, a little Unitarian Universalist trivia, was a Unitarian. In fact, the religious community that ordained me, All Souls, on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, you can go and if you go into their offices, you see laid out on an old piece, it's not quite parchment paper, it's not quite that old, but it's framed, and you can see where the Melville family bought their pew where they went and it was there. No one else was allowed in there other than the Melville family in the 1830s and 1840s. But Melville said at one point, he said, we become sad in the first place because we have nothing stirring to do. We become sad in the first place because we have nothing stirring to do. Well, to a certain extent, he might be right. That sense of call, that sense of a transcendent and transcending purpose beyond just our own individual lives is so necessary. But at the same time, there's a problem with what he said because it externalizes the issue. It's as if we can find that stirring thing out there outside of ourselves, then we will no longer be sad. If we wait till that moment when we find the stirring thing beyond ourselves, somehow then we'll be okay. But I think in our growth and in our flourishing, it most often has much more to do, rather than the resources around us, it has to do with the resources and the shape of our hearts within us. Waiting to find that stirring thing to do is in some ways waiting for that next inspiration that we think will just grab us by the collar and seize us and say, this is it. This is what your life is about. But very often inspiration does not appear in those ways. It's not that biblically big. And so the first step in any real plan for our spiritual growth, any real clear true orientation to becoming the kind of people we want to be, it's much more simple. Be there. Show up. Make yourself a presence. Revelation in its many forms often comes to us more often than the big comes to us to the whisper in our ear or the tug on our sleeve or sometimes in sheer silence. And we have to be listening and have to be present to really get a sense of it. There's an old story, an old joke that we put into the form of a drama some years ago here at Wellsprings that sort of brings this really home. It's a story of a man who is um, living in an area where it's in a floodplain, and in fact, there's a huge deluge of water coming through, and he's standing up on top of his house because the water has risen all the way beyond the top of his windows. And he's standing there, and the water's up to about his ankles, and a friend of his comes along in a rowboat and says, you know, we're all evacuating, trying to get out of here. Would you get in the rowboat with me, and I can take you to safety? He says, no, no, no. I am waiting for divine intervention to come save me. 
Well, okay, the guy in the rowboat says, all right, see ya, and rows away to safety. The water continues to rise. It's up now to his waist, almost up to his belly button. Another friend comes along in a speedboat and says, come on, I got safe passage for you. Hop on here. I'll take you away. I'll save you. And the guy says, no, 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 I'm faithful. Divine intervention will save me. The water continues to rise and continues to crest until finally it's just up here. He can't even breathe out of his mouth anymore. He's just got his nose barely above the water and there aren't any more boats on that water. A helicopter arrives on top and lowers down a ladder and says, here, climb to safety. No, 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 glug, glug, you know. I'm waiting for divine intervention to save me. And the helicopter flies away. And the man drowns. The story continues, goes to heaven, meets God. He's really pissed off. I was so faithful. I was waiting for your intervention to save me. God laughing says, didn't you get the rowboat, the speedboat, and the helicopter I sent you? that's the sense of waiting for the inspiration the big thing and in fact what inspires the name of this message series he had a plan he had a very clear plan for how he was going to get rescued and if reality or god didn't conform to what his plan was going to be well sadly the last laugh was on him But if he would just have set his sights a little lower, a little bit more reasonably, he might have been able to survive. Because his orientation would not have been about the outcome that he must have gotten. The orientation would have been about an openness to reality and being able to respond to what was there, to his many friends who came along to him and offered him rescue. The problem I have with this idea that we are sad in the first place because nothing stirring is there for us to do, it really came home to me this past week when I was watching a documentary, a very good one, a non-exploitative one, a very good documentary about life in prison. It is, I think, about the value of showing up, of knowing what true freedom is, even when we might feel or might think that another person's freedom is so circumscribed to the point that they are not at all free. They featured in this prison documentary the story of one particular inmate who was serving 98, still is serving 98 years in life for murder. You know... I'd like to believe that as they presented him, he was, and he was in the process of redeeming himself from this horrible act that he committed. In some ways, he kind of reminded me from the, of the character of Red from the Shawshank Redemption, if you know that, that wonderful movie. I don't know if this was the truth, but I'm going to believe it was the truth. He was one of those, as he was starting to age, who reached out to the younger inmates and tried to help keep them out of trouble and tried to help direct their energies towards more positive things, things that would help them flourish. And his way of flourishing was this. Every day, every day in this small cell, bars, four by six, basically, he could barely stand up in it, no window, cement block as his viewpoint, as what he looked at every day when he woke up. But every day in his little cell, he painted oil paints, watercolors tempera paints, 
every single day he woke up, he worked on his paintings. He said, and I love this quote, art is my sanity and art is my salvation. That is what keeps me stable. Perhaps even in a circumstance like that, there's nothing big. His paintings perhaps will not change the world. Nothing, quote unquote, stirring to do. Except there is, because he has found it for himself. He has found that even in the most unlikely of places, there is always something to create. And those of us who live with a wider degree of freedom, very often than prisoners do, so much of our ability to flourish comes down to this, just to the regular choices we make to show up day after day after day and do whatever it is that is for you, your painting. Integrate that inspiration in the most basic way, sometimes very small ways, and say this is yours and claim it. It does not, for me, diminish the power of this quote from Soren Kierkegaard that I do not believe in an actual devil. I don't believe in Satan as a figure or a person or a being. But the truth of this quote is absolutely real, I think. Soren Kierkegaard, the great Danish existentialist, he said, The devil is one for whom all things, all things are possible and nothing ever is actual. All the choice and yet nothing's ever made real. Everything conceived and nothing ever born. Choice is the condition by which our freedom becomes meaningful for us. And it is the commitment of showing up day after day after day that becomes freedom's true realization, whatever you consider your level of freedom to be. I think this way of being, of not just waiting for the mountaintop moments, the high moments, the inspirational moments to come and seize us, but rather allowing the inspiration to emerge, not just at the start, but along our path, is the way by which our resolutions, our promises, our dreams really do come true. I think this is what Thoreau, our great spiritual ancestor, was cautioning us about when he said, beware of any new venture that requires a new wardrobe. (laughs) What he's saying is you can't look the part before you are actually the thing. Don't pre-configure your identity. I got this lesson, a really painful lesson a number of years ago in what I like to call, quoting Steve Martin, the cruel shoes episode of my life, when I was probably going through what was the, I don't want to say the final, but it was, you know, these are now almost 40-year-old knees I have here, and they don't quite do what they used to. I was in one of the last real big upswings of running in my life. And I bought, knowing that I was entering into this time of real dedication and a deeper commitment to running, I bought the most expensive pair of shoes I could get, $150, $200, something absurd. You know, you can get a good pair of running sneakers for 50 60 bucks if you look hard enough. I wore them three times because they gave me the most god-awful blisters I have ever had. <laughs> they didn't fit. Now, that's a metaphor for, you know putting our identity into something before our identity is really ready to be born. So whether for you it's that new set of paints or that new meditation cushion or that new yoga mat or those new words that you would use in prayer, whatever it is that you are using in this new year or any time of the year to help unfold and flourish your spiritual life, let it fit first. 
Find the right fit first before you know who you are. See, because when we all start out, we don't know exactly who we are yet. So it's important not to prematurely bestow an identity upon us, thinking that somehow the form of the inspiration will come before the real deep experience of it. At the beginning, it is so important just to simply, as the poet Rilke said, love the questions. Love the initial inspiration too, but even more love the questions. Love the aches, the pains, the growth, the expressions of your soul that let you know you are indeed doing something new and trying something new, whether resolution, promise, or dream. And also by doing it this way, I think, in fact, that allows our resolutions to actually become true, actually allows them to go the distance with us and not get discarded at the end of a month when the gloss or the shine wears off. By doing this, we keep our expectations reasonable. We say to ourselves, perhaps, if it is meditation and the deep peace found within meditation that we are after, not to say, I will experience the greater peace than I have ever known in my meditation this year, but you can say, as we do every, every time we gather at Wellsprings each week, just peace now, just peace right here with the breath, just for this moment. This kind of daily, regular spiritual practice, it leads us back to the kind of inspiration that is not a quick high, is not the Tiger Woods way of living, but is really a true and deep grace. Because we recognize what it is to be free and responsible and accountable spiritual people. And we have the opportunity to make our freedom mean something. Also, this way of being with our dreams and our aspirations allows us, and it's so important, just not to take ourselves too seriously. We try something new, we're going to mess up, we're going to fall on our faces, and I cannot tell you how many different starts and then very almost immediate stops I have made in my spiritual life because I started out so quickly and with so much enthusiasm, with so much inspiration, and then, wow, what do you know, things did not go perfectly, and I just gave up. I probably wouldn't have given up given up if I would just have known a little bit more about laughing at myself, having a little bit of that kind of self-forgiving humor that allows us to start something new, begin a dream, and know that it will take a while to come true. I was watching recently the 25th um, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame concert on HBO. I don't know if any of you uh, saw that. Some amazing performances in that about four and a half hour long concert. At least the video is four and a half hours long. And Bono from U2, you know, he's God bless him. He, he's so earnest. You know, Bono, has, I don't think has ever uttered an ironic phrase in his entire life. And so he's going into yet another of his sort of rock and roll can change the world, save the world kind of sermons that he's doing. He's so well practiced and he's wonderful. I mean, Bono is one of the great artists of our times. And he's saying, we're here tonight because rock and roll means liberation. We're here tonight because rock and roll means social liberation and sexual liberation and spiritual liberation, all these different kinds of liberation. We're here because rock and roll means that to us. And at the same time, he's playing on the stage between songs with Bruce Springsteen. They're about to launch into a song with each other. And Bruce, you know, he knows something about giving great rock and roll sermons, but he also knows at times what it's like to not take himself too seriously. And he pipes in just after Brother Bono is done preaching and he says, yeah, and we're going to have some fun with that liberation too. That's probably the best and ultimate use, I think, maybe the truest expression of our freedom. That we would make room for joy. And we'd recognize in the midst of earnestness and the pursuit of our dreams that falling on our face is all right. In fact, it's going to happen. It's good that it happens. And that if we can find their joy 
and beginning again and beginning again and beginning again, we will ultimately know that what good is our freedom if it ultimately does not find its deepest expression in our soul's contentment. Amen. May you live in blessing. Let's pray together. Timeless spirits beyond calendar or page, may we who exist within time, knowing ourselves as creatures not entirely limited by the moment, but as creatures who know the moment and know what it is to age, may we find in this time, in this aspect of our calendar, May we find it even in those funny moments when we find ourselves writing the wrong year on the New Year's check. May we in those moments check ourselves and ask ourselves, is there wildness and preciousness here? Is there not just the kind of inspiration that lifts us up but also settles us back down into life so that we truly can perceive what is around us? the gifts, the challenges, the hurts, the blessings. May we be called back into life in this new year in a way previously we have not sensed, knowing that the gift of time is this, that we can awaken. May we be here now. May we greet this moment for all that it is. May we flourish by way of our mindful, heartful, and loving choices so that not just our lives resound with flourishing and happiness, but in fact that we can share this with others and with all beings. Amen.